Welcome to Season 3 of the Filament Games Podcast, a show dedicated to game-based learning. Here are your hosts, Brandon Pitzer and Dan Norton. So nice, Josh. It's like, I want that at my funeral. That's like just really good. That's like, I want you to remember me by that song, Brandon. Yeah. Yeah. That one? Yeah. All right. I'm picturing like a black and white gigantic portrait. Yes, on an easel. <laughs> <laughs> With that song yeah, in the yeah, background. Yeah. <laughs> uh, hi, everybody. This is Brandon speaking. This is Dan Norton. And we have a guest with us. Hello, I'm Aaron Sanfilippo. All right. That's us. This cool. is the Film and Games Podcast. Yeah, it is. Welcome. Um, so so we have a lot to cover today. We do. Really excited that Aaron's here. We're going to cover a bunch of interesting topics that he can only he can speak <laughs> to <laughs> as an expert. Um, but first, uh, we want to do our, our ritualistic airing of what everyone is playing video game-wise currently. So let's start with Norton. What are you doing? What are Mario you Kart. Mario Kart. Mario Kart. So like the new Switch one. The Switch one. So, okay, I know nothing about this. I, so is, is it like a port or is it a brand new title? It is essentially a slightly improved version of the Wii U Mario Kart. They Sounds addressed right. several critical concerns. Mm-hmm. I think it's fair, actually, because, I mean, the console cycle has been so short between the two. And the Wii U yeah. did not sell gangbusters. So there's like no. basically a cart that most people missed. So I don't, I don't have any ill will towards sort of the upcycle. We have a Wii U in the office that I think someone just has forgotten about. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> it is unclaimed. <laughs> and it, I, you know, I, I didn't play it much myself. For people who did have it, they actually seemed to report they had a good experience, but it yeah. just, uh, just never really. It's a little bit like the GameCube. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It just didn't, it, it was too ambiguous. People were like, is it a Wii or is it a different thing? Mm-hmm. And then yeah. what games are on it? Is it the same games? Yeah. It just, it got itself muddled. It did. Mm-hmm. But the Switch is. It's a nice piece of hardware. A really cool piece of hardware. Yeah. Uh, the, the seamless transition between a portable gaming device to a console gaming device to a single controller to multiple controllers. All that stuff is like so cleverly malleable. You just feel, you feel like a real smart, cool person for using it. You're like, <laughs> now I'm on a bus and I'm playing this game. Now I'm at home. That's what, yeah, yeah. Everyone around you is thinking the same. Yeah, thing. they are They're like, damn, that guy looks really cool. He's really smart and cool. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, awesome. Yeah. So that's uh. That's what you're playing. Yeah. I do uh, uh, I do want to have one extra bonus ramble on Mario Kart. Okay. There, there's actually a really an interesting feature. Bonus ramble round. Bonus ramble. Unprecedented, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> uh, so the Mario Kart now has a smart steering feature. Okay. So what that means is that you can turn that on, and you still basically have all of the racing capabilities you normally do, but if you're about to careen off of a cliff uh, or into a wall... It will, uh, as aggressive as necessarily, bring you back on track, literally. Mm-hmm. Um, and from what I've read, this is actually a wonderful feature for people with kids. Oh, sure. Uh, who want to race and want to play in the big races, but you know, uh, don't necessarily have the fine motor control to pull off all the sweet moves. To right, yeah, uh, the kids get turned around. Yeah, right. And you got like the little Latiku with his. Yeah, so it's. Uh, it's a really nice feature. They have this teeny penalty in it, strategically speaking, in which 
you can unlock the fastest slide dash technique if you have it enabled. Mm. But if you're, uh, in terms of just sort of broadening the audience, letting people different ages play together, which is something that Nintendo always puts mm-hmm. extra love and care into those ideas. So it's just true. getting different types of people to play together. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of their like you know hallmarks. Uh, it's just really nice. So yeah, I heard some people talking about how that was cool. a really cool feature for people with disabilities as well. Oh sure, They're right? Just, like, you know, physically hard. You know, if you can't have your hand on the controls all the time or something yep. like that, kind of. Yeah, that's yeah, that's one of the things I think. When your idea starts being like, wow, this is an accessibility feature and it just like wins over and over with different groups and you know you've mm-hmm. done something really good. Mm-hmm. For sure, for sure. Yeah, yeah, I think, you know, there's like, there's stuff like that in the new Super Mario Brothers games where it's like you fail so many times on a level and they'll just like start throwing invincibility power-ups at you or like have another um, character like just kind of appear in the level that leads you on like the best route through. There's hmm. just, yeah, they, they do stuff like that. And it's interesting to see that show up in Mario Kart now too, because it's yeah. clearly like a, an evolution of that like yeah. school of thought. Mm-hmm. Aaron, what are you playing? Uh, let's see. I've been playing mostly mobile games lately. I, yeah. um, I got this game called Reigns, which okay. I guess came out like oh, last yes. year. So, yeah. yes, so sort of like a Tinder kind of interface yep. where everything mm-hmm. is just a choice where you swipe left or right. Mm-hmm. Um, that's and that's pretty game. cool because it's like, you know, some of the choices are really obvious. Like, you know, do you want to hire this person to improve your economy? It's yes or no. And then sometimes it's really subtle. Like, do you want to marry the princess from the neighboring town? Yeah. And this would help our, you know, war effort or something like that, you know, and then those choices come back to you much later. So, right. You can um, follow the dog with the glowing red eyes, if I recall, is one of the more yeah. ambiguous yeah. choices. <laughs> yeah. And you end up like <laughs> up in the woods eating yeah. mushrooms or something yeah. like that. <laughs> Yeah, so that really sucked me in. Mm-hmm. And yeah, then that, I would, uh, that's an ambiguous thing for you? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I like dogs. Who doesn't like dogs? But with, like, demonic eyes. But, you know, yeah. yeah but it smelling. turns out good, though. Yeah, oh, yeah. fair enough. Mm-hmm. That's true. You're yeah. like, hmm, smell of brimstone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like that. So that actually inspired a little uh, jam game we made this last week where you're kind of just like a, an auto-running RPG type thing. Oh, cool. Nice. It was kind of a big inspiration about, you know, just how interesting can you make it just to make everything a choice, you know, yes or no, or, or maybe, or something like mm-hmm. that, you know. Sure. Um, the other game I've been playing is uh, called Topsoil. It's another little, like, I'm not familiar mobile with puzzle game about gardening, which I'm playing because we're making a mobile, oh. you know, puzzle game about gardening, so. I like, um, I like which I'm looking forward to. Yeah. Yeah, it's... Um, Topsoil. Somebody pointed it out <laughs> to me, so it's pretty cool. It's it's oh, one of those okay. games where it's like the, the mechanics seem, seem kind of obscure at first, and then it just sort of sucks you in, so... Mm. Um, uh, a, a film and fun fact: We once worked on a gardening mobile game with a client, and sadly, it would never got released. The client sort of was a client within a larger organization, and they kind of got rolled up. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was a heartbreaker. It was actually really mm-hmm. one of my one of the more pleasant, like outright puzzle games that we ever made a film. And so I've always had a soft spot for the idea of a mm-hmm. of a gardening strategy game. So I'll check that out. Topsoil, yeah. huh? Yeah, topsoil. Topsoil. Yeah, pretty, pretty cool. Pretty sure it's free. It's free. It's free. <laughs> <laughs> Microtransactions? So you like buy fertilizer? No, it's it's like you you play for a while and then it says you can get three more turns if you watch an ad or you can just buy the ads away. So okay. mm. it's pretty straightforward. Sure. Um, yeah. Then I like that model. Yeah, mm-hmm. I like it too. Um, I'm playing uh, Skyrim Special Edition. 
just mm. joining everyone with the playing games from a while ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I you know I modded the uh, vanilla version extensively yes. when that first came out. I put hundreds of mods into that thing, and I did like the the ENB mods that are like really high fidelity mm-hmm. graphical improvements. Um, and I will say that playing the special edition uh, is I really like it because like there's not as much mod support, and they've kind of they've actually taken the mod delivery system and rolled it up right into the game so like when you're actually in the title screen that's where you actually get at the mods mm-hmm. um but the I, I have to say like the graphical improvements are slightly lower than like what you're able to achieve with like modding vanilla but the performance is like yes. a thousand times better yes. <laughs> there's like no bugs um which and no like rampant crashing that you'd normally have when you mod the daylight side of the vanilla version yeah, so right. um so yeah i think it's an, a really nice improvement actually um i uh when i played the original i grabbed a giant mod pack and uh i wound up with some very old women wearing chainmail bras mm. uh, and I, all right uh that yeah. was that was awkward. Yeah. So I think maybe yeah maybe the mod watch reduction. Out, watch out for mod bundles. Yeah. Watch yeah. out. Yeah. Check the contents <laughs> of your mod bundle. Before Item, you... Itemize those things. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> oh man, too funny. All right. Well, let's get to the uh, to the podcast proper. Um, so, so Aaron, yeah, you run a company. Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> Don't beat about the bush. Brandon. Yeah. So I have a company called Footfly. Yeah. I founded it with my brother Forrest. Uh, I guess over five years ago now, which is kind of crazy. That is crazy. It really snuck up on us. But yeah, I've been doing this five years. So. Awesome. Awesome. So, um, what what were you guys doing like when you when you decided to found it? Like, what was the what was the moment, the catalyst? Sure. So I was working in the AAA industry, I guess, for about seven years. Okay. And my brother Forrest was uh, running a sign shop. Mm. So he bought a sign shop when he was like in his early 20s and and ran that for like seven years or so. Um, and then got into, he sold the sign shop and got into like freelance graphic design. And so he was just like, you know, making logos and websites and stuff like that for people. And we'd always talked about, you know, making games together and stuff like that. And then... Um, company I worked for, you know, went through uh, a couple rounds of layoffs and it was like, you know, I decided I really wanted to think about taking my future into my own hands a little bit more. Sure. Uh, mm-hmm. So I started learning more about, you know, iOS and making mobile games and figuring out how, you know, the modern game engines worked outside of the, you know, AAA workflow, I guess. Right. Um, because you guys very specialized in a, in a studio like that, right? Yeah, yeah. So we were working on Call of Duty, and it was just like you know you're learning the Call of Duty tools and becoming an expert at making Call of Duty. And yeah. it, was like, it was fun for a while, right? Um, and then yeah, the other thing was just the studio was growing, and you know I was becoming a, a small cog in a big machine, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. And then you know at some point I just decided like I'm not being creatively challenged anymore, and I'm not really liking kind of where my career is going. And so yeah, we just started talking a lot more about breaking off on our own and I guess it was 2012 when we finally did it so awesome I took my my bonus winnings you know (laughs) (laughs) as our kind of runway and and, uh you know funded the company for a few months and we're off to the races I guess awesome awesome so um what was the first title that you got out so our first title was technically not a game it was called monkey drum 
Oh, yeah. It was this like educational musical toy for kids for, mm-hmm. I, for iPad. Um, and we didn't know anything about the business of launching mobile games or anything. And we kind of read on, you know, some websites that if you wanted to succeed in mobile, you need to be making free to play games. And so mm-hmm. we decided to make it free with like microtransactions and we didn't know how that worked at all. And so the game didn't make any money at all. Uh, okay. Um, I, the toy, I guess. And so, but it convinced us that we could make something. You yeah, know? you did make a thing. Yeah, sure, yeah, sure. we made a thing and Which we shipped a... it. And was like, you know, we could we can work together. You know, mm-hmm. um, so so when we founded the company, we didn't actually know like what our next project was. Okay, so I know a lot of people get into indie games and they have like their dream project and that's what they want to make and they work on that for years. We we actually started Footfly with more of a vision for like where we wanted to go as a company and the kind of games we wanted to make and mm-hmm. just sort of like our company values, I guess. Sure. And then we made a bunch of prototypes and the one that kind of trickled to the top was called Race the Sun. Okay. And so that was supposed to be a, a three-month project mm-hmm. uh, and we're just wrapping up the last ports of it <laughs> four and a half years later <laughs> Or so now. you so, think. Yeah. Yeah. Or so we think, yeah. <laughs> yeah. as far as you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, one of the reasons that I'm really excited that you're able to join us today is that we... Um, we interface with a lot of students uh, mm-hmm. with, within just the filament business, um, especially working on the publishing side. And, um, you know, a lot of what's going on in education is geared towards getting kids excited about uh, being in a STEM career. Mm-hmm. Um, however, the idea of a STEM career is rather abstract, and there are many examples of a STEM career that would bore a child. <laughs> they would, it would not interest them. Yeah. <laughs> um, but to make games, like that's mm-hmm. cool, you mm-hmm. know? Um, so, so that's, you know, that's one of the reasons that I think it's, it's cool to like kind of surface this experience you've had to show kids that it's like, you can be a self-starter yeah. and pursue this kind of career. Yeah. Um, so I want to talk a little bit more about uh, Race the Sun. Mm-hmm. So that was like your big, your big hit, right? Like that yeah. was... So um, where, like, kind of what was that like in terms of the trajectory of, like, you made it, you shipped it, like, which sure. platforms did you look at first, mm-hmm. and, like, kind of where did you see a groundswell of adoption? Yeah, so after, you know, after our experience with Monkey Drum, we kind of made this, I guess we, quote, unquote, learned a lesson about working on mobile, mm-hmm. which probably really wasn't a lesson. It was just, like, we decided we were going to focus on on PC instead because we thought, you know, we can build a community there and maybe mm. people are willing to spend more on games and stuff, and mm. so... We decided to make the game for for PC first, and at the time, Steam is the biggest you know distributor of, of of games on 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 PC, and so we decided to target that. And right after we started working on the game, they introduced the green light system, which is basically like a voting mechanism where anybody who's on Steam can go and vote for the games they want to get on Steam. Mm-hmm. And we um, we thought it would be a really easy process to get through that, and we actually ended up getting getting stuck like in the green light thing for like, for like a year. Mm. Um, and we were the, the first like six months of development there were just kind of rough. It was you know it was supposed to be a three month project, and then we got to the end of three months, and it was like okay, we're not done yet, and so we're we're working on the game more. And then we decided like let's try to do pre orders for the game, and so we put it up on our website, and people could buy it for like half off, you know, before it was done. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that didn't go anywhere, and so we we kind of launched a Kickstarter, more or less out of desperation because we were running out of out of cash at that point, as and that almost failed. And it was just like a you know, <laughs> yeah, as you do, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so that almost failed, and it was you know I won't go into the details, but yeah. you know we learned a lot through that experience about you know getting better feedback and kind of getting better insights into like how cool our stuff actually was because mm. I think there's that there's always that gap when you're first starting out, you know, between where you think your stuff is at and where you're actually at, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. I think it's a feedback loop where you, 
you get better insight as you practice and get more feedback from mentors and yeah. and peers and, and customers and stuff like that. You have um, to like navigate your internal biases about, yeah. about what you're producing. Right. You it's, also, you know, you also have to make sure you don't listen to idiots. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Yeah, that's, that's true. true. Yeah, that's, that's true. true. Yeah. And, yeah, and they've got opinions. Yep. <laughs> and so we launched it on uh, Steam finally. We got through the green light process and we got it funded on Kickstarter. We launched it on Steam in 2013. And it wasn't a huge hit, mm-hmm. but it was enough to fund us for like the next six months. Okay. And so at that point we thought, okay, six months isn't enough to make another game, but it was enough to do a, a port. And so we did a PS4, PS3, and Vita port. And that was going to be another two-month project that turned into like seven or eight months. Wow. <laughs> and then that did pretty well. And then we got into like a humble bundle. And then, you know, obviously we're not making a ton of money with that, but it was enough to get it kind of to a wider audience. Sure. Um, and then we did a a PlayStation Plus deal, which is like Sony gives you a chunk of money and they put the game up for free for all their PlayStation Plus subscribers. Oh, oh right, right. Yeah. And that was like, that's funding for another six months or whatever, mm-hmm. you know. Mm. Um, and so at some point it was like the game went from kind of a mediocre hit to like something that a lot more people knew about. Yeah. And then we launched it on uh, iOS, let's see, in the summer of 2015. And that did pretty well. You yeah. know, again, it wasn't a massive hit, but it was like, okay, we're funded for another six months, you know? Mm-hmm. So we basically spent a year working on the game and then another three years just like porting it and trying to find time for prototyping and stuff like that. Sure. And so it was, it was a really odd experience where it was like, we went from nobody knowing about us and our game to launching it to like moderate to sec- success to like, now we go to industry events and people are like, oh, you guys made Race of Sun. That was a huge hit. I was going like, to say. Well, I guess it is, you know? <laughs> I feel yeah. like you've, you've got a game to the point of ubiquity where the odds are good someone's played it. Yeah. Right. right. It's really weird to run into people like, non-game developers, mm-hmm. you know, strangers at the airport or something. Oh, I've heard of that game, you know, mm-hmm. so. Yeah. That's pretty cool. That's super cool. Yeah. That's super cool. Um, so uh, what's what's a day in the life like as an independent developer? Well, I wear a lot of hats mm-hmm. right now. So we um, we recently brought on a new programmer, uh, Allison Salmon, who I worked with back in the AAA industry, and she's helping with, you know, more ports and, and multi-platform stuff. And then I, I kind of manage our, our social media and, um, you know, a lot of our, I guess, quote-unquote productions. So I'm sort of like producer slash programmer slash, you know, social media manager. Um, you know, so I'm, I'm always jumping back and forth between three or four things in a given day, I guess. Sure. <laughs> Man, that's intense. Yeah, I, I, uh, I'm glad that I don't have to do all that stuff. <laughs> mm-hmm. Glad to specialize. Oh, I, um, I have a tip for you, Iron. I uh one day I attempted to call Allison Salmon, Allison Slammon Salmon, <laughs> as a cool new nickname. Okay. Didn't go well. Don't use that one. I can imagine, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to picture her reaction to yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> well, she wasn't angry, but yeah. it was, she was nonplussed. <laughs> I was going to say, was she nonplussed? Yeah, I, I feel like if someone called me Slammon, that sounds like you're getting stuff done, you know? Yeah. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Oh, well. well Snorting Norton, I think. Is. <laughs> oh. <laughs> That's what I'm going to go with. Damn. <laughs> um... <laughs> So, um, so let's, let's talk a little bit about like what you've learned overall and kind of like, you know, going back to what I had said earlier about like students that might be excited about this path in life. Like if you're, if you're talking to a middle school student Mm -hmm. or or a high schooler, what, what do you think, what would your advice be to them about like embarking down this path? Sure. Sure. Well, I guess, you know, the first thing I'd say is it's, it's really rewarding, but it's also a ton of work. And I think, um, what I see a lot in students is that they're really focused on, getting into the industry, you know, especially at the college level where it's like they're going through a game program or or stuff like that. We can talk about that a little bit later, but it's like, you know, they're really focused on 
what are the secrets to getting into the industry and who do I have to know and, and stuff like that. And I, I try to tell them like, you know, it's really, it's a really complex craft that you have to learn. And that takes years to, to be able to master that or even get proficient at it, you know? And so I think, mm -hmm. um, my big advice is like focus on your craft. You know, if you want to yeah. program, like, you know, take programming classes, you know, at the best school you can get into. And, and, you know, if you want to be an artist, like, you know, really think about how to get on a path where you can master that. Um, Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a hard pill to swallow for some people. I think <laughs> it is. I really, I feel like a lot of the time, a lot of people interested in gaming industry think that their passion for consumption of games mm -hmm. is what will get them into making of games. It's mm -hmm. like, no, you actually have to have a passion for making games yeah. to get a career in making games. Yeah. You have to acquaint yourself with what that actually means. Too. Yes. You yeah. can't play your way into a game development right. uh, position. Right. Yep. And the other thing I think people assume is that you can get a job as sort of like a creative director where you're coming up with the ideas right. and telling other people what to do. And that's like a really common thing where it's like, I, to me, when somebody says that, it's like, okay, you don't really have any particular skills that yes. you've learned or mastered and you kind of want to get into the industry. And it's like, no, you actually have to learn a craft, you know? Yeah. 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 You can't just have like thoughts yeah. and be mm -hmm. em employable on that, yeah. on that basis. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like everybody has thoughts. You know? <laughs> right. Everybody thinks they've got a good idea for mm -hmm. a game. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. And you know, the, I mean, we've hit upon that before. It's like, if you want to get into this industry, just like start making things. If, mm -hmm. if you want to have, if you want to make a certain kind of thing, make other kinds of that thing, like, you know, keep, keep working on it. And, you know, you see that in, I think in any creative discipline you know mm -hmm. it's that's like what you hear in writing programs too it's like you know the the thing to to be a good writer you just have to write every day you know that's mm -hmm. that's like what every great author will say mm -hmm. um and and yeah like you say people don't want to hear that because it's like yeah. I, I like the image of being a writer i don't like the work <laughs> right. of being a writer right. you know it's like that mentality yep um so aaron you, you know i think one thing that you did that it is very is remarkable, right? You guys, you did work hard on development skills, but you also declared that you were going to run your own company, and then you just like, did you have any previous experience businessing? Or? I I didn't, but like I said, my brother ran a, a sign shop for okay, years, and yeah. so he had he had had employees and had to do the taxes and stuff like that. Okay, where, uh, so it was sort sure. of like you know we got really lucky in that we sort of had the, those complementary skills. Yes, you know we still have lots of gaps in our in our little. You know, I, I mean, we had a lot, lots of gaps when it was just the two of us. Um, mm -hmm. We have fewer now, but, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, just like we weren't trained in 3D art and we had no idea about social media and marketing and all that stuff. But, yeah, we had sort of like the rudimentary, you know, rudimentary ingredients, I guess, you need for that. Yeah. Um, so what is your structure like now? Like uh, mm -hmm. who, how many people are working with FlipFly currently? Sure. So we've got three of us full time. Okay. Uh, Forrest does all of our everything visual, so all of our art. Uh, all the all the UI, he designs our website, mm -hmm. all that stuff. Um, Allison is doing multi-platform programming and a little bit of game programming and just kind of like whatever we need on the tech side. Um, and I guess I'm contributing, you know, the rest of the game code and um, a good part of our game design, I guess. And the tweets. And the tweets. And, <laughs> and then we've got a guy uh, named Drew who's doing, he's just kind of like part-time contracting with us and doing tech support and just fielding, fielding those requests. And he was doing social media for a while and then we realized like, People just want to talk to the founders and, yeah. you know, we right. have more ideas about what to say on a day-to-day -day basis. And so sure. it just saves time for me to be able to do it. Mm -hmm. um, sure. And, yeah, I guess I'm, I'm always thinking about opportunities for us, you know. So we're talking okay. to somebody about, you know, 
new distribution opportunities for Racism. And it's, it's almost endless. It's like, you know, there's this company in China who distributes on this particular mobile device and yep. they can get us like a million new players if we just like go through this right channel or whatever. And it's like, hmm. you know, it's, it's yep. tempting to just get really <laughs> sidetracked, like chasing down opportunities like that. Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're not the first indie developer I've heard in the past month talk about that exact like kind of incremental mm-hmm. distribution mm-hmm. arrangement where it's like looking particularly in China and Japan, um, going through their their device ecosystems because you know just like we've got like apple we've got ios and and google play here there's equivalents Mm -hmm. abroad and you can again yeah grow your market incrementally get another million players or two yeah so that yeah that's compelling yep Hmm. yeah i had somebody uh send me a tweet the other day using google translate and he was this russian guy Mm -hmm. and he was like communicating with me through google translate about whether we could make an account on some Russian social media site, mm-hmm. you know, I think, I think what he was asking is like, could he make a fan site for us and on this Russian social media site? Interesting. And so I'm, I'm pretty sure that's what's happening. You know, <laughs> for all I know, he's making like the official flip fly, you know, <laughs> website over there or something like that. He'll but. pay you in <laughs> CSGO crates. Yeah. It'll be fine. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, generally we just get like the requests for like, um, hi, hey, I'm a reviewer and I need ten keys of mm-hmm. your game, that so I can all the time. so I can review your game yeah. ten times, ten times. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I have thirty thousand Twitter followers and they're all following me because I give away keys. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, you see that. Um, so uh, I want to talk a little bit, too, about uh, something that's uh, coming up later today. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're going to be speaking at the UW Whitewater. Yeah, yeah. So that was a cool opportunity I had uh, to talk to the students there at their media art and game development expo. I guess they call it awesome. Mm-hmm. Also um, known as Magdi, Magda, yeah. Magda. Mm-hmm. Not our contronym for the day, by the way. Yeah, or, or acronym. Or sorry. our acronym. Oh, oh god. <laughs> Flashbacks, wrong season. You're confused. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so um, the the thrust of of your talk, uh, I've got here a quote: "Developing habits for mastering a skill over a lifetime." Yeah, yeah. So, so I'm, can you break that down for me? Sure. So I'm, you know, I guess it goes back to what I was saying before about, you know, how I think a lot of students are really focused on getting into the industry and, you know, what do I put on my resume and how do I, you know, how do I talk to the right people and, um, you know, what tools do I need to learn and stuff like that. Um, and I just want to convince people that they need to be thinking about their career long term because mm-hmm. I think that if your only goal is getting into the industry and the, you know, it's like this emotional thing where it's like, you see it as like getting into heaven or something, you know, right. like, I just got to get in and then I'm good and I'll be happy. You know, and the reality is like those, if you have that mindset, it's really easy to be taken advantage of, I think, because, you know, a lot of times studios just need people to churn out the next, you know, big hit game and they'll, you know, they'll get you in there and you'll just be working on that thing for years um, or working on that series for years, doing the same thing over and over again. And I think that if people have a little bit more of a mindset that you want to perfect your craft, but you also want a career that's maybe more fulfilling or creative or under your control, I think you want to come into the into the game industry with having a choice of what kind of career you want instead of just hoping that yeah. some some studio will take you. Yep. I'll you sweep know. the floors. Yeah. I'll, I'll wash the windows, <laughs> yeah. whatever it takes. Yeah, and it's an unhealthy cycle for the yeah. industry too for when yeah. people have that mindset coming in. But yeah. you know, I think the key to kind of being more fulfilled is like focus on your craft and then you have more of a choice of where to go. And, right. and you know, even after you get into the industry, thinking about whether you're working with mentors, you know, within that or whether you have opportunities to be challenged and grow, um, you know, is a big deal for kind of like – 
you know, moving upward and also, you know, just staying happy, I guess. Right, right. That's interesting to me is like when, before I co-founded Filament, I'd always loved games. I'd always had a passion for games. I'd always had a passion for design. Mm -hmm. It never even occurred to me as a possibility that I would ever work in the games industry because Mm -hmm. it just sounded like such an abusive, horrible place. Uh I think it actually, I think the rise of indies has actually made it a better, more diverse place Mm -hmm. now than back then. Mm -hmm. But at the time I was like, no, that's no way I would do that. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And it wasn't until the really weird shaped opportunity of filament sort of showed up that I was like, Mm-hmm. Wait. <laughs> There's another way. We can do. I, I can make <laughs> games. Mm-hmm. And it was, uh, yeah. But it, it, uh, it was just never a thing that even occurred to me that I should even look for because it seemed like such a, such a harsh, harsh cycle. Yeah. 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 I think the other, the other thing that people have is a bit of a misunderstanding is that, you know, there has this been ex- this explosion of success within the indie game scene, I guess. And tools have made it easier to make games. And so people kind of have this perception that I just got to get Unity and learn these tools. And right. as long as I make something pretty decent, like I can get it on Steam and, oh, they're they're doing away with Greenlight and I'm just going to have to pay a $100 fee or whatever and then I'll be good. And like 99% of games that are made don't go anywhere, yes. you know, and I think that's a hard pill to swallow too. And it's all the more reason to like focus on your craft and really pursuing that excellence. Yes, I think that's true. And it's tough too because like if you – if you really try and scrutinize like the app store on any given day, there are good games mm-hmm. that come and then vanish into the ether within the week, yeah. right? Yep. It's not even sufficient to be good. Mm-hmm. Right. It's tough. It, it's tough to, to make a thing that sticks. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, speaking to that explosion of, you know, indie development, it's like, yes, it's diversified the space. It's also saturated it in some ways, right? Mm-hmm. Like I think, uh, what's the stat? Like um, half the games on Steam came out. It was, it was, like it was, in the last year. Yeah, it was yeah. like a crazy amount of the games on Steam have come out in the last year. Yeah. Um, what, what, do you remember the percentage? I can't remember. It's something really close to that. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was something around half. And that's, I mean, that speaks to, I mean, how old is that ecosystem now? How long has that marketplace been around? 15 years or something like that. Yeah, it's been yeah. like 40 years. <laughs> 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 yes I think that's about right give or take right? yeah, 40 yeah. Years. about 40 years yeah. yes it, I mean maybe in Gabe's mind it has been around that long mm-hmm. um, but 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 yeah you know that that speaks I think that's a dramatic number you know that's yeah. a, a dramatic uh, demonstration of the fact yeah. that there's it's kind of a gold rush in some ways yeah um, or maybe the gold rush is just immediately in the past right, right. <laughs> and yeah. now it's going to be even harder yeah know? no one goes there anymore because it's too crowded mm-hmm. and I'm pretty convinced like if we if we launched race of sun this year it probably wouldn't succeed mm. you know like, i think i think the bar has just been raised that much higher. i was gonna you know, ask so. you you know yeah so what what do you think made race the sun which is a great game but what do you think sort of made it succeed and mm-hmm. stick mm-hmm. it's funny because you could describe it as an endless runner sure and i think when you uh-huh. hear when you hear endless runner you think of like all these like mobiles kind of saturated with these you know you had temple mm-hmm. run and um mm-hmm. Cannabalt, and it was kind of like a really well-established genre, I guess. Mm-hmm. We actually entered it to a, a festival once, and they said, like, it's kind of fun, but it's kind of played out, and you should just put it on mobile for free or something like that. Mm. Um, but I think one of the angles that we found, I guess we we lucked ourselves into, is that 
there weren't really a lot of endless runners on PC and Steam and kind of like build as like a premium HD experience, you know, and that was kind of what we were going for. So, you know, it was a $10 endless runner on Steam, which, you know, I think if you ever have an idea and people say like, that never works, you know, that probably means nobody has ever tried it before, you know. Um, (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) So we, uh, I think that was a big part of it. And also just, we spent a lot of time on making it feel really good when you played it. Yeah. And just uh, people talk about, you know, the, the the rush of excitement the first time you pick up the controller. It was really accessible to get into. Um, and we've had a lot of clones, interestingly, you know, on mobile and stuff. None of them kind of stack up on that feel. And so I think that the feel and just the unique kind of positioning within that market really helped us, I guess. I feel like yeah. it's really um, – well, I, I like to think this helps. I, to me, it's, a, it's like an aesthetic experience, right? Mm-hmm. It's a – the space in the game is a very particular style and it's beautiful mm-hmm. in its mm-hmm. way. Uh, and I think that, I don't know, at least for me, that partially resonates all the way back to like Wipeout on like mm-hmm. PlayStation. Just mm-hmm. the idea of the soothing, beautiful race yeah. experience is like harkens back to like it's in so the funny. Groove. It's yep. so funny you say that because that's precisely why I like the game too. I love the aesthetic of it and it, it reminds me of a DOS game that I played called Terminal Velocity. Terminal, that rings a bell. Yeah, this is very old. Yeah, <laughs> like this yeah. is like accessible through okay. the command prompt only. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> on Steam back in the day. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. exactly. On the, the <laughs> Apple II version. <laughs> Apple II Steam. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Someone should make that. That would be amazing. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, you know, it's, it's that same feel, you know, where you're, and it was actually kind of a closer corollary in that game because you're actually in a ship not unlike what you've got in mm-hmm. Race of the Sun. And because it was such an old game, but was also a 3D game, it was very basic and polygonal. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was, like, actually a pretty close match. Yeah. Um, but um, Funny story about that, if, if we have time. I, yeah, yeah. I can dive into it a little bit. Like, the the initial version of the game I don't think was nearly as pretty. Mm. <clears throat> and so, you know, like I said, we didn't have a, a lot of background in 3D art. And so our initial our initial artwork was more or less for us, like, hand-modeling things like buildings and trees and stuff like that and then we had a an algorithm that sort of just like randomly threw these things in the world mm-hmm. and looking back at it now it kind of looked like you know like you know like the the halfway through school art student 3d stuff where it's just sort of not very consistent mm. and it had kind of like cartoony outlines on it and sure. it didn't have that clean look yep and then we launched a kickstarter and the kickstarter like almost failed and then um <clears throat> we started thinking about like Star Fox, the Super NES version yes, of Star yes, Fox, where yes, it's just like polygons clean, and really clean yep. shapes. And it's like, you don't need a building. You just put a block in there and that yeah. kind of represents a building, you know? Yep. Mm-hmm. And that's when we kind of went back to that. And that really connected with people. But it was like that experience of like putting that first version out there and almost failing and realizing like people weren't connecting with how the world yeah. looked was a, a big turning point for the game. So. You're right. It totally does have a Star Fox 64 thing going on too, yeah. mm-hmm. which is a great game. It was. <laughs> it's so good. I won a tournament at the software et cetera in the mall for that game. God, I still have the little pin somewhere in my wait. Uh, like, like car- you okay. had a they had a special time trial cartridge, which you came in and tried to run a route like you ran a lap. Oh wow! And in, like in like the Lilat system or something or what? Just I don't like remember. One of the levels. I just you no. Know, right. It was like a modified level. Okay. And wow. I just sat down and just had like the perfect session. You just got in the zone. I just was in the zone. This is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> now I have the pin somewhere. It is I, I, every year or two, the pin like resurfaces in my stuff. I'm like, oh, the pin. 
I didn't realize I was breathing rarefied air right, right now. Yeah, I know. <laughs> this is exciting stuff. I like to be humble about my achievements, Brandon, so I haven't brought it up yet, but now seemed like the day. Oh, man. My, my respect for you has just grown exponentially. <laughs> <laughs> I'll see if I can do something about that. <laughs> uh, awesome. All right. Well, very cool, man. Um, yeah, so, so check out Race the Sun. Check out what Flip Fly is doing. Um, I think. Oh, how do we find? How do we check in with what Flip Fly is up to? Yeah. yeah. So the tweets. Yeah. Where yeah. do we with find the these tweets? Yeah. yeah I, I tweet a lot. You know, it's just at Flip Fly. Um, you know, we're at flipfly.com. You can find mm-hmm. our website, Sierra Games. That's two P's. Uh, two P's. Yep. yep. <laughs> cool. Very yeah. cool. Um, so I think we got one more thing to cover we for do. today. Yeah. Norton's going to take care of that. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Okay. Our OUTWA, mm-hmm. which for Aaron's benefit is the acronym of the week. Okay. It's a little segment where we uh, do a little teeny challenge of figuring out what the acronym is and then discuss its merits mm-hmm. or lack of merits. Mm-hmm. As an acronym. And uh, so last week... Uh, it seems like a very common theme for acronyms is that they can be accidentally dirty. Mm-hmm. When I, in my own acronym <laughs> research, this seemed to be a recurring discovery. So I decided to go for a different strategy. Oh, good. This week. Uh, <laughs> That's this, a relief, Dan. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. I could have doubled down, but I did not. Yeah. It's a family show. All right. Um, today's acronym is CAPTCHA. 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 All right. And it is the CAPTCHA you're thinking of. Okay. So it's the... what does it stand for? So it's the the weird, inscrutable image. Yes. Or numbers. The crossed out, wavy words that prove you're not a robot. Right. (laughs) Or so they think. Or you're a very good robot. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Or a very talented robot. Mm -hmm. Um, Gosh, I have no no idea what that could stand for. It's so long. Mm-hmm. That's what makes it challenging. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's an extremely long acronym. Hmm. You can, you can, I will give bonus points for any, any hits. Any point. All right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's yeah. a tough one. It yeah. is tough. There is one, one letter I'm happy to give a hint on is one is what, are there any sort of known standards for telling the difference between people and machines? Oh, is Turing in there? Yes. Ah, yeah. All right. Wow. Mm-hmm. Well. Oh, I wouldn't have expected that. Right? Yeah. Mm. There's a T. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. One down. Okay. We don't need to drag, <laughs> yeah, drag our through it. Yeah. The sound mm. of thinking. All right. Wow. So you guys ready to be disappointed? Yeah. <laughs> yes. The uh, CAPTCHA stands for Completely Automated Public Turing Testatel Computers and humans apart. Wow. <laughs> yeah. It's a sentence. Wow. Yeah, and they just cheated. There's just several words are just completely. Yeah, they just, they, they did some scan. So they can make it sound like a word you so, can say. Yeah, so that's, that they is this week's ac- uh, acronym abuse nice. is nice. the tossing of words overboard mm. to go back to something that is vaguely uh, pronun- <laughs> pronounceable. We're going to categorize these as contorted acronyms. Yeah, it's a contorted yeah. acronym. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, we need to make like an acronym to represent. yeah it's uh yeah so it was uh this it was coined in 2000 
you can go to Captcha.net and sort of read more about the the tech they did. It's free, mm. yada yada. Awesome. Uh, Open source. Ooh, is uh, it? It's just like a service provided to mankind <laughs> to stop the robot see. uprising. So they cooked it up at Carnegie Mellon. So if I were to guess, it would be open source, but I mm. do. Uh, I'm not sure. Fascinating. Uh, but yeah, it's a uh, yeah bad acronym. Yeah. Interesting product. Yep. Yeah. 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 You know, I All heard right. something about that a couple of years ago, where I, I guess there's some pool of you know these captcha images, and and they train them. You know, like real humans, like obviously have to like pick those things out. Mm-hmm. But since you have the option of, like, give me another one if you can't quite read it, mm-hmm. like, at some point, all the easy ones get taken, and then what's left is, like, the actual ones that are really, really hard. And so if you ever go on the on a website and it's, like, it looks like some scribbles that you can't, as a human, understand, it's because of that, that sort of, like, library of, of oh, good images, like, getting used up. Yeah. Um, so. I, it is always enraging when you're like, I don't know. It's like, I swear to God. Yeah. Are you implying that robot. I am a robot, <laughs> sir? <laughs> uh, I mean, am I a human? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just throws you into a deep depression. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> An yeah. existential crisis. <laughs> yeah. It's, that's how the new Blade Runner starts, actually. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. With the captcha. <laughs> yeah. Decker's staring at a captcha and realizes all of a sudden he's a replicant. He's just trying to post a meme and he's yeah. like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a turtle behind him and it's upside down mm. and he's in a desert. And uh, anyway. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, on that note, mm-hmm. thank you again for joining us yeah. today, Aaron. Thanks yeah. for having me. a real pleasure. Thanks, Aaron. That's all the time we have for today. Thank you, gentle readers. We'll, we'll talk soon. Absolutely. Yeah. Till next time. Thanks for listening to the Filament Games podcast. If you'd like to hear more about games, game-based learning, and what goes on inside our studio, subscribe today on iTunes or Stitcher.